Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. It is true that we are all, every last one of us, perpetrators of evil. Every last one of us is a sinner. The Christian confesses this to be true, owns it, and he confesses his sins to God. He repents of them and rejoices to be refreshed in receiving our Redeemer's forgiveness. Last week, we were reminded of the severity of our sinfulness and the abundance of grace that we receive from God despite being sinners. We focused last week on 1 Timothy 1.15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I am. We each say this of ourselves. This is where we begin always, daily. We each confess, I am the worst of all sinners. And our confession is answered with the Lord's absolution, forgiveness, our sins removed. In his crucifixion, Jesus co-opts evil for good. The place of death and punishment, the cross, is the source of life and reward for all. The gift is for all. If only they would not reject his free and loving gifts. If we would not reject his free gifts. It is for all who don't deny the forgiveness of sins. The the forgiveness is there. Who would turn their backs on forgiveness? It's there for those who don't ignore the salvation from sin that has been achieved, won, proclaimed. Salvation from death. Salvation from the devil, which Christ secured as he hung, beaten, and bruised on the cross. Those who don't denounce Jesus, who only wishes to bring healing and everlasting life to the hurt, and as we heard last week, to the dead, those who have been lost, but the Lord wishes to find. Sinners, you, Me, everyone. Jesus took our place on the cross, living out Genesis 50, 20 to 21. As for you, you meant evil against me, it says, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. You can see how the Lord hanging on the cross embodies that statement. It was evil perpetrated against him. And he turned it into good. So do not fear, Genesis says. I will provide for you and for your little ones. This is Joseph speaking. He said these words to people who hurt him. People who looked at him with disgust and disdain. His own people who wished him dead. As we see in our Old Testament pericope, the reading there, Joseph is a type of Christ. He is a picture of the forgiving heart that Jesus has for sinners. 
Thus he comforted those who did evil to him, and he spoke kindly to them. Genesis 50, 21. And since you have been baptized into Christ's forgiving life, and now have his spirit within you, you have his heart, Joseph is a picture of you, a symbol of the Christian who's disdained and villainized by those who hate Jesus and the church, those who don't want to hear God's law or his gospel. And like Joseph, we suffer hatred when we simply say, and we simply say, you mean evil against me, but God means it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive eternally through Christ. So do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. This is the way of Christianity. It always has been. We are a people of love and forgiveness. We are a people who, who bring the comfort of Christ Jesus that we have received to the afflicted and the hurting because we ourselves are afflicted and hurting. We're in the same boat. Jesus died to save sinners among whom we each confess to be the foremost. Others may have a speck of sin in their eye, a speck, a little piece of dust of sin, but when we see that to be the case, it's only because we have much more sin in our own eyes. We can relate we can offer to help people remove that speck from their eye only because we know what it is to be a sinner, because we're not in denial of our sin. We know that we have not a speck, but an old growth redwood log in our eye. That's my sin. That's our sin that we identify. We know what it feels like to have something in our eye, and it's uncomfortable and it hurts. And so we want to help people remove even a little bit of that if they will listen, if they would hear the Lord's word. This is why St. Paul tells the Christians in Rome from the epistle reading to bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Persecution is just part of being a Christian. It comes with the territory. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. He said those who would save their lives must lose their lives. He said, I send you out as sheep among wolves. That's just who we are. No surprise. And so we bless and we do not curse. It isn't our place to curse. We offer help and healing. We seek to give the blessing of Christ crucified to all who will hear it, recognizing that some will, while others who set their hearts against Christ won't. And that's not up to us to deal with. No grudging, no anger, just simply knowing what the reality is. And so this gives us an opportunity to rejoice with those who rejoice, as Romans says, and to weep with those who weep. And so living in service to neighbor in this way readying ourselves, preparing ourselves to help them however we can, inviting the hurt to a place where they can be made well enables us to do, as St. Paul says, to live in harmony with one another. Rejoicing and weeping according to God's economy. It's a life lived truly in communion with God, yes, 
but also with his church. All of those of diverse backgrounds with a multifaceted catalog of sins, a whole grove of redwood sin in our eyes, united in repentance of that sin, united acknowledging sin, not sweeping it under the rug, but bringing it to light that it can be cast away, forgiven by the body and blood of Jesus Christ that hung on the cross for that very purpose, made new through baptism into his death and into his resurrection. Paul continues in the book of Romans, as we heard, and he says, do not be haughty. We don't use that word too often, haughty. It's pride. And Proverbs 11.2 and 16.18 tell us that disgrace and destruction come from pride. A haughty or a proud heart, an arrogant heart, is an abomination to the Lord that will not go unpunished, says Proverbs 16.5. Psalm 10.4 says, In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek the Lord. All his thoughts are only, there is no God. I can do what I want. That's my addition to that. Psalm 10.4 just ends with, there is no God. So instead of being proud, we who are Christians associate with the lowly. We want to associate with the lowly. Never aiming to be wise in our own sight. We're not wise. I'm not wise. God's wise. We defer to his word. And we let him shape our lives as we submit to his will. It's not my word. It's his will. His word, we say. And we listen to what he says. What he says is good, we say is good. What he says is evil, we say is evil. Not because we want to, but because that's what it says. And so we suffer our crosses in season and out of season, depending on how the world reacts, with joy. Not because we're masochists, but because... We have spoken the truth. And that is hard. And the Lord knows that is hard. We suffer with joy knowing that when we suffer in the name of Jesus, it is for our maturity that we would grow into maturity and it is for our ultimate well-being. And not ours alone, but everyone's who will hear it. Our aim is to be humble and to join others who are lowly in spirit, obtaining the honor and wisdom that God wishes to give us. Wretches like us. Through Paul, God says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, does that mean that we will always live in peace? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Sometimes simply offering a healing to hurt people prompts them to lash out in hatred. We're not called to constantly live peaceably with all, but to seek it if possible, so far as it depends on us, on you. But that doesn't mean we never speak the truth of God. The law hurts. Truth hurts. We're called as Christians to speak both law and gospel out of love, 
So no one would die eternally. Peace, however, depends on others as well. If the sons of disobedience will not have peace, if the law of the Lord extend, the love of the Lord extended by Christians spurs rebellious hearts to hate us, we are to remember what St. Paul says next in our epistle reading. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, never, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, not ours, his. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 14 to 21. Jesus says the same thing just before our mor- this morning's gospel pericope. He says, In Luke 27 to 29, which our reading starts at 36, verse 36. In 27 to 29, he says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. If you're listening, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer also the other. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. You want my shirt? Here. Take my pants. Be a little awkward. But verse 32 says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? It's easy to love people who love you. For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. But love your enemies. And do good to, and your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. It's a new week. Last week, in reaction to the message that I put on our sign that offered support and healing to anyone who may have been hurt by the LGBTQ culture, we experienced hate and abuse from neighbors who chose to make themselves our enemies. What is our response to that? Always and only love. Blessing. We are not in the business of cursing. That's God's job. He deals with it. The vengeance is his, whatever it may be. We are to love. We are to bless. Like Jesus, we pray that our Father forgive them of their trespasses. And we truly say, for they know not what they do. Among the vandalism and the loss of relationships, we received many phone calls this past week, emails, Facebook messages, and in-person and website comments. Hateful and erroneous things were included in those comments. So were blessings and so were support, but uh, not as many as the hate and the anger. Even worse things were said about us online. Not to us, but about us. About me. Because the sign acknowledged that the LGBTQ culture is hurtful, which has been confirmed in written and video testimony by people who have left it in written years. As I have witnessed as a pastor ministering to those who are seeking help in this culture, from this culture. Not to mention that scripture speaks clearly against the harms of the sins that the LGBTQ culture is built upon and proudly celebrates. 
And so our hands are tied in this regard because Scripture says it. But because of this acknowledgement, just acknowledging it to be hurtful, it was said that the sign was judging people. Now, the sign doesn't actually speak judgment. It doesn't speak the law at all. It conveys a gospel heart. It conveys a sympathetic heart by asking a question. Nevertheless, the standard verbal rhetoric was deployed, and the accusation is that I or we are not Christ-like because Jesus says we're not to judge. And so I want to address that because I know many of us are being hit with that in our personal lives. I got to tell you, God is good. He is great with timing. We operate according to the one-year lectionary, the historic ancient lectionary. I don't pick the readings. They're readings that have been established for centuries. And wouldn't you know it that the reading of the gospel for this week is the very same reading that people use against the church when they are accusing us of judging them. It's a, it's a deflection thing. So let's talk about that. People say you were not supposed to judge. Judge not lest you be judged. That's what we heard this morning. And yes, after Jesus says, be merciful even as your Father is merciful, he says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. It's right there. But we can't stop right there because the sentence doesn't stop right there. We can't pull that out of the context. Jesus isn't done speaking about judgment. He continues in the same sentence, the same breath. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Forgiveness implies sin is involved. It doesn't say put your head in the sand and pretend sin doesn't exist. It is saying do not judge someone's salvation. It is saying do not damn people to hell. But don't let me tell you that. Let's let scripture tell us that. Before we get there, let me ask this question. If what the sign says is wrong and the world is talking to us about being like Christ, trying to say we should be better at being like Christ, I would like to ask the question, where is their forgiving heart? Is it on their trigger finger as they spray paint the sign? Is their forgiving heart in their arm as they're launching the eggs or their salsa? or as they call us all kinds of dirty names, as they defame our character, as they take away job opportunities, as they abandon us, is that where forgiveness is? Where is the love and the mercy that they would have us have for them that they say we don't, but we do? Because it is certainly being spoken in here that we are to forgive, we are to love, we are to bless always. But such a heart, as we know from Scripture, is not manifest in the world Because the world is rejecting Jesus. Jesus is love. He is what fills our heart with the ability to forgive because he first forgave us. The text continues, with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. It almost is a a carrot and a stick situation. If you want to forgive someone, you're finding it hard to forgive someone in your heart. Well, remember, you want to be forgiven, and so you forgive them. To drive home his message on judgment, Jesus tells a parable. He asks, can a blind man lead a blind man? Someone needs to be able to see, right? Or else, will they not both fall into a pit? And then we get our speck in the eye. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Jesus is our teacher. Our teacher humbled himself in order to help us, in order to teach us objective truth, in order to tell us what is good and what is evil. Make a judgment call regarding sinful behavior to show us the way of forgiveness. We have to know what to forgive. 
how to love each other, how to help each other avoid sin. It is loving when you see someone on the train track to tell them to get off the train. It is unloving to let them get smacked by the train. Even if they're in denial. I don't see a train. Well, at that point, you tackle them. Get them off the train so they don't get smucked. As James, our Lord, our Lord's brother, wrote, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death, his soul, and will cover a multitude of sins. Being Christ-like, being a Christian, doesn't mean never pointing out sin. It means judging sin from a place of humility and with love, recognizing that sin hurts people, sympathizing with their hurts, and then kindly offering Christ his healing to them. Being a Christian is pointing out other people's sins as is appropriate, not while denying your own. You start by confessing your own. Jesus is saying that. It's doing what we do daily and what we do at the beginning of every divine service. What did we do? Very first thing, we sing a hymn. We invoke Jesus, his name, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to be here. And then we confess that we're dirty, rotten sinners. We confess that we have that log in our eye. That I need forgiveness. It's not seeing the speck in your brother's eye as a hypocrite while denying your own. That is hypocritical, and that is awful. It's first confronting the log of sin that blinds you, having Jesus remove it, and then being able to see, to serve your neighbor, to help him, to assist him in removing the speck of sin from his eye if he will hear you and let you, so that no one falls into the pit of eternity, or the pit of hell for eternity. Christ Jesus has forgiveness, and he wants all to be healed. Amen. Amen. Would you please join me this morning in praying today's psalm according to the one-year lectionary again? It's Psalm 138. I'll pray it if you would please bow your heads and pray with me. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise, the God. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name, and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Amen. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep you in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. Amen.